Uh, please keep your Bibles open to uh, uh, Jonah chapter 1, page 1441. Uh, if you've accidentally closed your Bibles, and please remember there'll be a time for questions after the talk. Uh, you know when people think about the book of Jonah, uh, the first thing they tend to think about is that big fish. And the fish is the thing that everyone remembers. But the book of Jonah it is more than just the Old Testament version of Jaws. As we take a journey into the book of Jonah these next four weeks, one thing we're going to see is that the fish isn't one of the main characters. If anything, he only makes a cameo appearance. But more than that, we're going to see that this little book has some profound and some challenging things to say to us as it will show us how great God is and how he does things in our world. I guarantee after these four, next four weeks, you're not going to see the book of Jonah in the same way ever again. Uh, well, before we get into it, uh, will you please join me as I pray and ask for God's help to help us understand his word tonight. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that helps us grow in our knowledge of you, as well as helps us understand how you do things. Please help me now to explain your word clearly and faithfully, and we pray that your word may identify in us where we need to change. And we pray that by your spirit, you will be growing us as followers of you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as you may have already picked up in uh, our reading of chapter 1, uh, Jonah is a man on the run. He's running away from God. And, and the thing is, we all can relate to Jonah in some way. Uh, you may be here tonight and you're someone who's been running away from God for quite some time now. Maybe it's because you're not too sure who he is. Uh, you just don't want to get too involved. just want to keep him at a distance. Then there's some of you who would say that you are a Christian. And when someone asks you what you believe in, you, you have all the right answers. Yet, you too can be like Jonah. Because there'll be times when your view of God is put to the test. When you're not agreeing with how God is doing things in the world, when you're unhappy with Him, you too may end up running away from God. No matter who you are, we all at some level can relate with Jonah. And what we'll see from God's Word tonight is that this problem of running away from God can be remedied by getting the, our understanding of God right. Because when we truly get who God really is, it will change how we respond to Him. Uh, tonight we're going to see uh, three things. Uh, firstly, we're going to see scene one, God's call and Jonah's response. Then secondly, scene two, the storm before the calm. And thirdly, we're going to see Jonah, Jesus, and us. Now, Jonah was a prophet, a messenger from God, who lived during the time of King Jeroboam, and in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, 
Um, I just highlighted there, what we see there is Jonah. It's the same Jonah, son of Amittai. And he speaks God's word to King Jeroboam to tell him to restore the boundaries of Israel. So what we see here in 2 Kings is Jonah's got to track history of speaking God's word faithfully. So in verse 1 of Jonah chapter 1, we see that the word of the Lord has come again to Jonah. Now normally when the word of the Lord comes to a prophet, the prophet obeys. Now God says jump, the prophet jumps. But in verse 3, what do we see? Well, Jonah is doing the exact opposite. In the text, God's literally saying to Jonah, Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. Actually, Nineveh is that way. But Jonah isn't just saying, no, I'm not going to do that. No, no, the text actually says Jonah does get up, but goes in the opposite direction. As he looks to catch a ship to Tarshish. Uh, let me show you a bit of geography, uh, geography. Now you see down at the bottom there is Joppa, the yellow dot. That's where uh, Jonah starts off. And all he has to do is go northeast a bit to Nineveh. And you see that as the green dot. Oh, yeah, that's the green dot there. But Jonah is aiming to go to Tarshish, which is west, which is actually in Spain. And you can see it's actually really far. You see, Jonah is aiming to go to the most western point in the known world at the time. You see, Jonah really doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And they were Israel's worst enemy. Verse 2 tells us that it was a really wicked city. You see, the Assyrians were a bloodthirsty lot. And history tells us that they would skin their victims alive, they would cut off the heads of their victims, and wear the skulls around their necks. These Assyrians, they were the meanest, baddest, not to mention the biggest city around. And this is the city that God wanted Jonah to preach to. I suppose you can see Jonah's logic as to why he buys that one-way ticket to Tarshish. Well, what does God do about all this? Well, verse 4, God sends a great wind to cause a violent storm. Now, there's an adjective that resounds throughout the whole book of Jonah. It gets repeated 14 times. Now, I'm normally not always going to do this, but I'm going to teach you a little bit of Hebrew. It's the Hebrew word gadol. Let me show you. And gadol means basically great, huge, gigantic. And the interesting thing is, the gadol word, it's always used for things that are under God's hand. It's used for things that are thrown around by God like a feather. Things that are in service for God. So we see in the text, God says to Jonah, Go to the Gadol city of Nineveh. Verse 4, God sends a Gadol wind on the sea. In verse 17, God sends a Gadol fish. So what we see here is that 
This is the God who commands great things, gadol things, and they bend to his will because clearly God is even greater. But what do the sailors do in response to this storm? Well, they end up hurling the ship's cargo into the sea. But while they're chucking the cargo over, did you notice what Jonah's doing? Well, please have a look at verse 5 with me. It says this. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So while the sailors are doing their very best to save everyone on the ship, Jonah is doing nothing. Actually, what we're seeing here is that Jonah is so rebellious, he's forcing himself to sleep so that he doesn't have to lift up a finger to help in this crisis. And it's only until the captain of the boat comes down to Jonah that he gets woken up. And the captain then says, Jonah, get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Now, Jonah is a prophet. Calling on his God is one of his core competencies. It's part of his job description. So, for a Gentile, a person who's not a Jew, for him to tell Jonah what he's supposed to do, well, you get the idea that Jonah really isn't doing his job. And we see that idea even more in verses 7 to 10. In verse 7, the sailors again, they take the initiative. Now, given how bad the storm is, they conclude that someone has to be responsible for all this. So they decide to find out who, and they do that by casting lots. And for this whole time, Jonah still is doing nothing. He's just keeping quiet. But when you know it, the lot falls on Jonah, he's picked up that short straw. And so the sailors ask Jonah who he is. Now it's at this point, Jonah speaks for the first time in this book. Uh, please look at what, with me what, what he says in verse 9. Verse 9, Jonah says this. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Firstly, Jonah tells them who he is, that he's a Jew, an Israelite, one of God's chosen people. So in these first few words of the book, we're actually beginning to see how pompous and how arrogant he really is. Because basically he wants to make it clear to the sailors that, hey, I'm not like you. Now I don't know if you've noticed that when we read uh, verse 9, but the word Lord, you can see it there in small capital letters. Word Lord, small capital letters, actually represents the word Yahweh, which is God's personal name. It's the name that only the Israelites use to refer to God. It's the name that indicates that you're in relationship with God. It's like how my daughters refer to me. Because of my relationship with my two daughters, they're not 
going to call me Reverend Darrell or Mr. So. No, because of my relationship with them, they use my special relational name, which is Dad. Now you have to hand it to Jonah. His theology is perfect. He knows who God is. He uses God's relational name. But what we see here is one of the biggest ironies in the book. Now, from what we've seen so far, his words don't match his actions. Because if he really worshipped God, he wouldn't be running away from him in the first place. Well, verse 11 tells us that the storm is getting even worse. And again, the sailors take the initiative. As they ask Jonah, verse 11, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Now notice the sailors didn't say, they didn't say, hey Jonah, you got us in this mess, what are you going to do about it? No. Now the sailors are on their front foot here, and again, Jonah is doing nothing. But what happens next can be perceived as quite noble. Because Jonah then tells them for them to throw him into the sea. So the fact that Jonah is willing to give up his life so that these sailors can live, you could think Jonah's been pretty noble here. But you know, Jonah could have said, he could have said, hey guys, don't worry, I'll jump overboard because I know it's all my fault. He could have said that. Or he could have just said to God, Hey God, I know I've done the wrong thing. I'm sorry. I'll go to Nineveh now. But Jonah doesn't say any of those things. You see, what we're seeing here is Jonah giving up. He really doesn't want to go to Nineveh, and he would rather die than go to Nineveh. But these sailors, being the good-natured guys that they are, they give it one more shot. And they do their best to row back to land. You know, these sailors, they show more concern over Jonah's life than what he does for them. Anyway, the sailors, they're unsuccessful in rowing back because the sea just gets wilder and wilder. So they have to give up. And in verse 14... They cry out to God for mercy. Uh, Please check out verse 14. It says this. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Did you notice in their prayer? They refer to God with the Yahweh word. The, you know, the little Lord in small capitals. God's relational name. You see, the sailors, they're not just recognizing who Jonah's God is. No, they want to come into relationship with the living and true God. That's why they use the Yahweh name. And we actually see them continue to do something about their commitment in verse 16. Now, in verse 16, 
don't know if you noticed there, but this is the next bit where the, that Gadol word, that Hebrew word is used again. That word for great, that word for gigantic. Uh, do you see it there? See, for these sailors, who for a few hours ago were calling out to their small gods, when they see the raging sea become calm, verse 16 says this. At this, the men greatly, Gadol, feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. Now this is kind of odd in a way because they're Gentiles. They're non-Israelites. The kind of people that Jonah was sent to preach against. And the interesting thing that happens right throughout this whole chapter... These sailors, they're seeing things more clearly than Jonah does. They see that this gigantic God who created the elements and who's in control of them, He is to be feared, not fooled with. And so they greatly fear Him as they make the decision to follow Him. And they do that by offering a sacrifice and making vows to Him. your impression of Jonah so far? Uh, If the words foolish or rebellious come to mind, you're on the right track. Because chapter 1 is comparing Jonah with the sailors. You know, Jonah, the Israelite prophet, whose job it is to preach God's word so that people can be saved, he's being disobedient. He's being outright stubborn. And he's shirking his responsibility. The sailors, on the other hand, they're Gentiles who didn't know Yahweh, but given half a chance to know Yahweh. But we see that it's them and not Jonah who have the right view of who Yahweh is and respond in the right way by worshipping Yahweh properly. And this is one of the key ideas in Jonah chapter 1. That's actually throughout the whole book. That Yahweh is not only the God of Israel, but He's also the God of the Gentiles as well. As they, uh, actually I should say we, can also come into a relationship with the one who made the sea and the dry land. But you know, in a weird way, Jonah actually points us to Jesus. Because every point that Jonah fails... Jesus succeeds. Every point where Jonah is disinterested in reaching the Gentiles like us, Jesus takes on that mission and he runs with it. And this is flagged in the first instance in a scene where we see in the Gospels where Jesus is asleep in a boat, in a storm, just like Jonah. But Jesus is far better than Jonah. He's not running away from the mission. He's doing it. And with Jonah, we see someone who reluctantly gave up his life to save those sailors. And he did it for selfish motives. But with Jesus, we have someone who willingly and lovingly gave up his life to save us. He did that by dying on the cross for us. And because Jesus did that, 
our judgment could be dealt with. We can now be forgiven of our sins and we can now come into a living relationship with Yahweh himself. So if you're here and you're a person who's been running away from God, where you've been trying to keep him out of your life, if that's you, please stop running. Uh, This God, the one who created the sea and the dry land, he loves you. And he doesn't want you to perish in a place called hell. Instead, he wants to forgive you. He wants to give you a new start with him, just like he did with those sailors. So if you want to be saved from perishing and to have a new life with the creator of the universe, then trust in Jesus and make the decision to follow him and to worship him. If you want to find out more, please make sure you chat to myself or Peter M. or Carmen after church tonight. And if you're a Christian here tonight, well, the big thing for us is that we need to continually have the right view of who God is. That He is all-powerful. And He's completely sovereign of all things. We've seen that throughout the narrative as He controls the wind, the lots, the fish. God's the one who controls everything that happens in our world. And when we have the right understanding of who God is, it will stop us from running away from Him. Now I reckon there's two main ways how we run away from God. Now the first one is, we can run away from having God at the centre of our lives. In a general sense, this is what Jonah does. Jonah didn't want God to call the shots in his life, so he ran to Tarshish to get away from God, to drown out his voice. And we can do the same thing too. But we can run away from God, to run away from the things he wants us to do. And we can run away by plunging ourselves into our career, our hobbies, our study, our family, uh, where we can be so absorbed with these things, where we too can drown out God's voice. Or we could be running away to things that for us are comfortable and safe, rather than being prepared to make a costly decision for Jesus. To actually go out on a limb for him. Let me ask you are you running away from God? What is Tarshish for you? Now, the second way that we can run away from God is actually run away from the opportunities that God gives us to tell other people about Jesus. And specifically, this is what Jonah is doing in chapter 1. As he runs away from that, his task of preaching to the city of Nineveh. And if you're here and you think that you're not very good at talking about Jesus with others, or where you don't know what to say, or you're scared that you might stuff it up, you need to remember what we've seen in God's Word tonight. God is so powerful. He can use anyone to bring about his plan. Look at Jonah. 
He was someone who was determined not to do God's plan, yet God used him anyway to save those sailors. So if God can use someone who doesn't want to be used by him, imagine what he could do with someone who does. Do you believe God's that powerful? Do you believe that he can use you to impact the people around you for Jesus? We need to probably recognize who God is. That he's the creator, that he's the ultimate king. And we need to respond to God, not like Jonah, but like how the sailors responded. And like the sailors, we need to see God afresh. We need to get the right perspective on who he is. And when we do that, we'll worship him in the way that we're meant to. Where instead of running away from him, we're running to him instead. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us of the great fact that you are the creator, that you are the ultimate king, that you are sovereign over all. And we thank you that it's because of Jesus that we can come to know you. We confess that at times that we are like Jonah, how we run away from you. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will give us eyes to see you for who you really are. We pray that you may change us so that we will stop running away, but instead to trust and to commit our lives to you continually and to be obedient servants for you. And it's in the name of the Lord Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.